Can I just wanted to speak today a little bit more about the liberating aspect of the factors of enlightenment and just wanted to start with sharing a poem again from this book. I sometimes share poems from this book of the anthology of the Bikuni poems, you know, of the Bikunis who lived at the time of the Buddha, the Terigata, the oldest anthology actually of uh, literature of written by women. It actually wasn't written by them because it was written down like five, six hundred years after the Buddha, but it was uttered by them and then, you know, uh, conserved and passed on over the centuries and now we have it written down. And that is Bikuni, her name is called Nanduttara. That means greatest joy, that name. And she says, it's a very interesting poem, I have spent most of my teenage years running from one bed to another. Any sign of warmth would do. Each worked for a while, until they got possessive, or mean, or boring, or I did. Then I got new friends, shaved my head, and started eating once a day. During the long, lonely nights that followed, I would remember all the nice warm baths, all the late nights and long mornings, waking up next to beautiful warm bodies. One night, shivering on the ground, I started to cry. It's not fair, no matter what I do, the other thing always looks better. <laughs> Listen, my heart, I know how exhausting it all gets. Don't give up until you are ready to give up for real. So don't give up until you are ready to give up for real. So, you know, I think that means don't give up really paying attention, you know, until the mind is really ready to let go. That's a process and we cannot force that letting go, that insight. But we can put causes and conditions into place so that it will happen when it's going to happen. And it can happen in the next minute or next lifetime, we don't know. But we do know what it means, you know, to put causes and conditions in place because we do have a teaching and the Buddhist teaching is one of those teachings, you know, which are liberating and it's very pragmatic because he has very good meditation instructions. So, you know, in meditating and developing those seven factors of enlightenment is exactly that, you know, to put causes and conditions in place so that that real letting go is going to ensue out of familiarizing the mind with the way things truly are. And for that, you know, we have to, we have all of those tools already, those seven factors that I pointed out before in the meditation, but we have to sharpen them. And the meditation instructions are about, you know, sharpening them. That's more the samatha part of the meditation, which we call uh, collecting the mind, focusing the mind, sharpening the knives. And then the other part is, you know, using the knife to cook a meal which means, you know, that would be more like the inside part, to get the fruit, which means, you know, then using that sharpened mind and turn it towards features of experience we usually don't pay attention to 
because they are not very charming, you know, such as suffering, who wants to know about that, you know, impermanence, not really that interesting either, and emptiness, you know, which is kind of nothingness. So this is like features of experience we need to kind of bend the mind and, and, sh and just encourage the mind with all kinds of different instructions to be willing to stay with that. And then once we get in the swing of it and we really see the liberating effect of it, actually it becomes, takes on more and more strength and it's, it becomes more and more effortless because the mind gets more and more interested in it because it sees the results. But until we are getting, you know, off the ground in that way, you know, that we can really get in the swing of it, that takes time. And you know, that's exactly where we are all at, you know, to really encourage our minds to pay attention and not constantly look for the next thing, for the next thing, because as it said in the poem, it's not fair, no matter what I do, the other thing always looks better, and I'm sure you can all relate to that, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, and then once you're there, you want to be again on the other side, and it can go on, you know, forever, really. Because there's so much different things out there, you know, more than ever before we can access, you know, even we don't have to go anywhere, just have the phone and you can endlessly distract yourself and frit away tons of time and energy and the minds get ever more kind of dull and ever more dependent on a certain input. And so today what I wanted to speak about those features of experience, you know, we need to pay attention to in order for that uh, liberation to come forth, you know. And uh, so how can we tap into the liberating potential of the practice, into the liberating potential of the seven factors of enlightenment? Simply, you know, by paying attention to those four meditative themes and if we do that, you know, we can see those four meditative themes with increasing clarity wherever we go. And then the time comes, you know, where we can see and enjoy and be with whatever is. And at the same time, you know, the clarity of that this is impermanent, this is unsatisfactory, this is not self, is seen at the same time. You know, that's really what we are aiming for. It's not about not enjoying the beauty of the world, uh, enjoying the goodness and enjoying the loveliness and all of what's out there. Of course, this is something which is our birthright, really. But to enjoy it while at the same time knowing that we can't own this, we can't control it. And then the enjoyment is actually becomes much more refined and much more precious really because we are knowing at the same time that we are enjoying something, we are knowing it's impermanent. And then that's a, a different way of being in the world. Which means, you know, being in the world but not being lost in it at the same time. And that's you know, that's the as good as it gets for human being. Being able to be fully with what's happening and through that, you know, being really nourished and being really in full 
contact with the world and being fulfilled in that way, you know, not needing to hold on to anything because that is enough. We don't need to control the world. We don't need to constantly rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic because we are knowing that we are part of this and we are okay with that. And it all starts by the first of those uh, four meditative themes is establishing seclusion, it's called in the scriptures, seclusion from the unwholesome. And we, we today, for example, we took the precepts, which is already one thing, you know, sealing off the unwholesome action by just taking the precepts or at least intending, you know, to leave the precepts. And then, of course, we make mistakes and then you just start again. So seclusion from the unwholesome. And then, you know, first it's like more like the gross unwholesome, which means, you know, not breaking the precepts. And then slowly but surely it starts to translate into the mind, you know, that the mind gets increasingly more calm. There's no regret. There's not so much kind of worrying and all of that because of living an ethical life. And not, not only, you know, to be like a good boy or a good girl, that's also an, a benefit, you know, but the greatest benefit is what an effect it has on the mind. It prepares the mind for insight. It's a practice. It's not just like a little sidekick, you know, which you can do or not do. It's like part of the practice. And it teaches us a lot about ourselves, you know. So that's the first one. Establishing seclusion from what's unwholesome. And then the next one is arousing dispassion by paying attention to impermanence. And uh, dispassion in the Pali language is called viraga, which viraga comes from the word rang, which means to color. And so viraga, we can translate it as fading away of craving. Like if you have a cloth which has a big stain and like a red bead or some really uh, big stain and then in order to get rid of that stain you have to wash that cloth many, many times. And then maybe you know like do it like rubbing it and putting all kinds of uh, things on it and then over time it slowly but surely fades away. And the same, you know, is with our kind of greed, hatred and delusion in the mind by you know, attending in the right way, this greed, hatred, and delusion starts to fade out, fade out more and more. So that's the second one. And then through this fading away of craving, you know, we have more and more capacity to be fully here because fading away of craving translates immediately into cessation of unsatisfactoriness and suffering. You know, if we are able to not hold on so strongly, a feeling of suffering and of friction also fades out at the same time because they are connected. You know, if you want to stop the river from flowing, you're going to experience a lot of friction because nobody can do that. So then if to the degree we are able to let go, to that degree we are having less, less suffering, less unsatisfactoriness. Because, you know, the suffering isn't inherent in nature. 
The suffering is the result of meeting nature in the way which is not in sync with the way things are. So that is, for example, paying attention to endings, you know, is a very good way of familiarizing ourselves more with the full picture of what's happening here. Paying attention to endings, paying attention to features of experience we usually voluntarily do not want to look at because they are uninteresting, you know. They are off-putting, they are disappointing, they are this, they are that. But nevertheless, they are happening all the time. So and then, you know, if we, the mind secluded from unwholesome states is capable of paying attention to impermanence, which results in letting go of craving, which results in less and less suffering, which results in complete letting go when causes and conditions are ripe. And that's what we are really after, you know, letting go of attachment and seeing emptiness, seeing interbeing, seeing not-self, you know, seeing very clearly that nothing whatsoever exists from its own side, you know, this clock or my body, this house, the planet, all phenomena, big and small, they all are processes and they are coming together in a certain way for a certain time and then they change. And even, you know, our sense organs display this bell to us as an unchanging entity, you know, uh, not a process, but if we have the right instruments, we can see that this is actually not an unchanging object, but this is a process. It's a certain frequency of energy which manifests to human beings as a bell. And we have, you know, we have agreed to call this a bell, but nobody can say what it really is. But we can say, you know, for me, we have, you know, in my world, we agree that this is a bell. That's as good as it gets. And that is very helpful, you know, for daily functioning. It has a place. It's important. But ultimately, it is not true. And, you know, this teaching wants to help us, you know, to wean ourselves off from the dependency on those concepts and perceptions which we need on the one hand in order to function, but if we want to be truly functional, we have to have, at the same time, we have to be aware that this is true only to a certain extent. And, and the practice is really helping us, you know, because we are very, very deeply conditioned by using language, which is mainly, you know, what we're learning first when we're little kids, we're learning a noun. You know, we don't learn about anything else, but this is a chair, and this is a bottle, and this is a mama, and this is papa, and all of those things. This is how we learn, so we have that very deeply ingrained in our systems to see everything as separate entities, uh, separate things, and that othering, you know, this very deeply ingrained othering, you know, results in a certain incapacity of really being in contact with the way things are. And as we can see, you know, with the climate emergency, it's really driving us 
to a very very dangerous edge right now. You know, we are, if we are not collectively able to make that next step in our in the evolution of our species in the way how we use our minds, it doesn't look like that we're going to hang around for much longer. And it's exactly able to make that leap of being able to understand that we are not separate beings, you know, who are having been gifted with a planet in order to just do what we like, but that we really understand that we are not separate, that we are part of it. And that insight, you know, is actually something we can cultivate through paying attention to those four themes, you know, establishing seclusion from unwholesome states, paying attention to impermanence, paying attention to cessation of suffering, and cultivating letting go. It's not only, you know, in order to liberate ourselves as individuals, but it's, it's, a, it's a practice which has much more far-reaching uh, effects, you know. It can really enable us to start to live on this planet in a way which is actually sustainable and which is more in sync, you know, with the way things really are and so that we may understand, you know, what the repercussions of our actions are and what's our rightful place here, you know, because we are behaving in a way which is very um, immature, really, as a species and practicing can potentially, you know, really help us to grow up if we really, you know, practice in a way and have enough interest and courage to live from that place. And, you know, it's not a forceful process, but it requires, you know, to develop more what I'd call like a feminine quality such as mindfulness, you know which is uh, a receptivity and uh, a capacity to allow and to pay attention and then through that allowing and paying attention to be changed by that and giving birth, you know, through a different way of being in the world which is informed by reality rather than, you know, projecting to experience what we want to see and then trying you know, to control it in that way and then end up with a complete mess because it's out of sync. There's not enough empathy, there's not enough sensitivity, there's not enough capacity to really stay open so that the truth might show itself. But there's like a very willful focused and like controlling way of trying to have results quickly and then you know we might have some results but then the kind of net result is devastating really so developing this capacity for being affected through honing those seven qualities is is very meaningful not only you know for a personal life but also for us as a species and
it has, has huge repercussions, you know, if we are deciding to really take up this practice and then through the way how we are in the world, you know, we have an effect on the people we meet and it, you know, it starts to kind of have repercussions in the world. We, we don't really know how it's going to pan out, you know, but what we can do is we can do it right now. We can start. And we, d- we are not responsible, you know, as single individuals for what we have been creating as a species, but we also can take responsibility for our own minds and how we live. And, and then we see what, what's gonna come forth from that. And I find that a very, you know, invigorating way of looking at my practice that it has, you know, far-reaching repercussions which are go far beyond my personal life and I find that even more, you know, um, encouraging and more um, inspirational to, to take up the practice and really make much of it and you know just being part of that that evolutionary process and doing my part and the rest you know we we don't know what's going to happen and that has always been the way. It's just getting a little bit more edgy right now and just to try to live up to our name as a species, Homo sapiens sapiens, because you know we really can know if we put in enough of those you know if we hone those seven qualities we can know and we are on the way, you know, and we we can we can really make that a priority in our lives or not. It's it's really up to us. So I think you know that's what I wanted to share, and I wonder if you have any comments or questions. And thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate.